Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80, the birth and naming of John, who would later, of course, become John the Baptist. So now it's time for Elizabeth to give birth to her son, and everyone recognizes how miraculous this is, that in her age she's giving birth, uh, gathered together to rejoice with her, that, remember, the birth of her son removed the shame in Israel, it was a shameful to be to be without child and so it's double mercy from the lord here that she has received a son and that shame has been removed and then it's time to circumcise the child who would be called john notice how closely their circumcision resembles our baptism the whole family gathers together it's a party and it's at this point that uh, he's going to be named that used to be the tradition uh, for christian baptisms too they were given a a christian name uh, at the time of their baptism we don't generally do that so much anymore but that's the custom here and the relatives expect a different name they expect the child to receive the name of his father zachariah or perhaps a different relative it was a custom in israel that you named children especially male children after one of one of their relatives uh, but they had no relatives named john so when the mother says his name is going to be john the the family and friends are shocked this is not the way things are done um, they refuse to believe that this is right so they go over the mother's head go to ask Zechariah, and of course Zechariah, writing on a tablet he still can't speak uh, you remember that uh, the angel gabriel said he would be mute uh, he still can't speak but writing on a tablet says no his name will be john and immediately then when he writes this that muteness is released and he can speak you see his doubt at uh, the time of the angel gabriel is now turned to great faith and commitment despite the protests of all of his friends and relatives uh, despite the peer pressure you might say he hears the word of the lord and does what the lord had commanded and opening his mouth uh, he begins to praise the Lord. And so here we have the Benedictus, just as the Mary's song is named the Magnificat after the first word of that song in Latin. Um, so that song was, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in Latin, the term magnifies, Magnificat comes first. So this is also named after the first word in the Latin translation, um, benedictus means to praise and it begins praise the lord the god of israel notice that zachariah has many things to praise the lord for he has received uh, a son even in his own his old age um, he has received his his speaking once again he's seen an angel he has many many things that he could praise the lord for and certainly at the birth and circumcision of a child you would expect um, that his his speech so to so to so to call it would be about the birth and the joy of, of receiving a son and yet the benedictus is all about god and his plan of salvation you could divide you can divide the benedictus into three parts and the first two-thirds of those of those do not mention john at all but are entirely focused on god and his plan of salvation for his people israel and then in the final third of the song you 
he, he does begin to talk about John, but uh, again, only for half of it. Uh, he mentions what it is John's job to do to go before the Lord and prepare his way, but then immediately again, this is because of God's mercy and compassion. And so it's a reminder to us, too, that even when we have joyful things on this earth, and it's not wrong to thank and praise God for the gifts he gives us on this earth when we have the birth of a child or uh, a marriage or things like that, but it's appropriate still to keep the focus, especially in in a worship service, to keep the focus on God and Jesus and his plan of salvation instead of uh, focusing entirely on, well, I'm getting married or uh, whatever it is that we're celebrating. So Zacharias begins, uh, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. That uh, term, that phrase that he has visited his people, that's a very common one in the Old Testament, uh, very closely related to the phrase he has remembered. Uh, very often the two are, are used together. He has remembered and visited his people. And the, the Old Testament Israelites, as well as Zechariah, are well aware that God is always looking out for his people. Uh, they, they are not suggesting that sometimes he leaves and then, you know, he remembers and, and comes back uh, to his people. But he has visited and redeemed his people. He has, visited, he has remembered and visited his people. It's very much looking at it from a human point of view. Uh, that now we can see him working for the salvation of his people. A lot of times God's working for the salvation of his people is in the background, not visible, not maybe not present with great power that men can see. But at key turning points in history, uh, his power and his plan of salvation is very much revealed, such as when Moses came and brought the people out of Israel, and the same phrase is used then in in connection with that, that he remembered and visited his people. Visited meaning that openly act for their good to bring them salvation. And certainly this is one of those key turning points in God's plan of salvation, his protection for his people, that he has now come down and brought forth John who would prepare the way uh, so that then, of course, Jesus, the Messiah, could come. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The horn is a symbol of great strength and power. Uh, Imagine the difference between a ram that has large, powerful horns and one that has no horns at all. The one without the horns cannot do battle against the one with horns. You could probably point out to the kids, like, you know, imagine if you had a horn on your head or something like that, then people are going to be much more afraid to fight you uh, for fear of that horn piercing them. They won't even be able to get close to you uh, to hit you or do anything because you can easily stab them with that horn from a distance. So the idea of a horn then is the idea of of great power and strength and uh, is another common image in the Old Testament. Um, for God's power and strength as well. There were horns on each corner of the altar, great large horns on each corner of the altar in the temple, uh, showing God's power, but his power used in mercy for his people. Uh, His power used for the forgiveness of their sins and connected with the sacrifices, uh, rather than his power being used uh, to judge and condemn his people. So now he's raised, he's that power and strength of God has come. It is 
come in strength for what purpose? For the salvation of his people, just as he prophesied and spoke, just as he promised so long ago in the ancient times, in order to bring salvation from our enemies. So that power and strength of the Lord is fighting for Israel against Israel's enemies. And we're, later on in the, in the song, he's going to talk more about uh, those enemies and who they are. So the first third then is about a God coming to save his people with his power and strength. And the image then is the, is the picture of this God of great power and strength descending from the heavens into the midst of his people to fight for them against his enemies. And the, the reference to David then is very picturesque, not only because the Messiah was promised through David, but uh, I'm sure the Sunday school kids are well are really familiar with the story of David and Goliath and uh, picture David standing there with all the Israelites on one side and all the enemies on the other and going forth in not in strength so much he was just a young boy but in faith and striking down Goliath uh, and that's the picture here as well God coming in great power and strength and striking down the enemies of Israel before them. Well, so that's the first third, uh, beginning with verse 72. Now we have the second third, the second third and uh, the picture now switches from that of power uh, against our enemies to his mercy towards us. So the first third is his, his power and strength against his enemies. Now what's his attitude towards us? He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Uh, notice the mercy of the Lord is so closely connected as it always is with his promises in his holy covenant toward us. Without the promises of God, we would have no expectation of mercy and uh, no right to come before the Lord. We would, we would only be able to come before him in, in great fear. We would be on the other side uh, facing him as our enemy and we would see that great strength and power, that horn that is used to slay his enemies. We would be on the receiving end of that. Only fear before the Lord, but because of his promises, all the promises that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, we can be confident that his attitude towards us is not anger and power but mercy since he has rescued us from our enemies to serve him without fear notice that see we don't need to fear him as enemies uh, because of his promises but to serve him in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days uh, so we receive holiness and righteousness not because of our ability and notice how much Zacharias stresses that. There's nothing about us that makes us holy and righteous, uh, but because of his mercy and because of his promises. We always have to come back to that. And of course, we have baptism. We go back to the promises that are given to us in baptism. Zechariah right now is circumcising his son, and that was one of the basis for those promises uh, for the Old Testament. Well, they knew that they were the people of God because of that circumcision. So the first third of all, is all against his strength and power against his enemies. The second third is all about his mercy towards us and his promises that give us faith 
that we can rest securely in those promises. And now he turns to John, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. And this is what John will do, prepare the way before the Lord. Uh, the key there is not what John is and who he is. That's not what causes Zechariah to rejoice. The key is the person John is preparing for. Uh, with the coming of John, the coming of Christ is imminent, just behind, and Zechariah knows that. He will prepare the way. He rejoices in John because it means that the Messiah is near. And the task of John then in verse 77, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And notice how immediately Zechariah recognizes that the forgiveness of our sins is central and key to the coming of Christ. Otherwise, once again, without that forgiveness, we would be the enemies and afraid of his horn, afraid of his power. But through his promises and mercy, we receive the forgiveness of sins and therefore we rejoice in his coming. And of course, you can point out to the kids how John, how well John fulfilled this. Preaching the coming of the kingdom of God, giving the people knowledge of the salvation that was coming, and baptism, the forgiveness of sins, through which they receive the forgiveness of sins. Because, why is all this possible? Because of God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And what a beautiful picture that is, too, of us living in the darkness of our sin, and now the the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, the coming of God, is like that dawn, uh, breaking the darkness and the gloom of night, bringing hope and joy and light where there was only sadness and darkness before. And all, of course, because of God's mercy and compassion. And then the chapter ends, the child grew and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance uh, to Israel. Uh, that he not only grew in height, uh, but more importantly, he grew in spiritual knowledge and dedicated himself. That that uh, reference to he was in the wilderness is a, a reference to his dedication to learning and growing in the word of the Lord. Uh, that he was kind of shut away with the, the, Is, the Is, Israelite version of monks. Uh, spending his days in meditation and, pr and prayer and learning the word of the Lord, preparing for the task that the Lord had given to him.